This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by you, the listener. As you knew, you knew that already. Come on. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Bushers Breakaway where we do our BSBOTs. We do a bunch of other stuff. I did a breakdown of the Gallant's introductory press conference. I think I'm doing a talkable episode this or next week. A lot of fun stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us there. Uh, Greg and I talk about, you're, you're never going to believe it, Jack Eichel, probably the Mets at some point. Uh, we have Jesse Granger of The Athletic who comes on to talk about Gallant. We can't find a guy to say a bad thing about him. By the way, Jesse comes on a little bit early, so we end the first segment. Uh, kind of like very quickly with haste, as I would say. So uh, if that's uh, annoying to you, I am sorry. My apologies. But it is a great interview. We learn a lot about Gallant and what you have to look forward to in the future as a Ranger fan. A uh, very insightful interview. Let me come back and answer some five-star questions. If you want to leave a five-star review, ask a question. You can do that on iTunes. Or you can go to our Patreon Discord where you can leave a question there. That's enough blabbering. Let's get to ESPN commentator Mark Messier. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Hey, Blue Shirts Breakaway, welcome to the Blue Shirts Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead. Patreon of patreon.com slash Bushers Breakaway. You can support a good cause like me and Greg. Gregory is my co-host. Gregory is here. Greg, say hello. Went to six Met games last week, Ryan. Six. Yeah, I, th- I, this was my open. So you saw history. I was yeah. <laughs> I was at dinner, and I was like, um, I got to bring up Greg. And they were like, why? I was like, great question. Um, in 51 years, there has not been a record broke of 10 consecutive strikeouts, and it was tied. And, of course, you were there. Your reaction, Gregory? Uh when he struck out the side the second time, mm-hmm. I turned to our mutual friend, Jeff Belitsky and John York, and I told them both. I was like, you guys know the record is 10, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, he struck out the last six batters. I'm reminding you right now that the record is 10 because I, <laughs> I just had a feeling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, what, at least it didn't get broken. Uh, and they won. He, the Mets won. They did win. But I, I'm just going to, again – I'm going to go back to the point here, Ryan. I went to six Met games last week. Yes. Game one, mm-hmm. in which Jacob DeGrom is pitching, so you know I've bet the under yep, doesn't in the hit first the under. five innings. Yep. yep. The Mets score five runs. Okay. Fine. Oh, whatever. Elation. Greg, fun. Yeah. Fine. No big deal. Greg, Greg loses his bet. He sees the Mets score five runs. This is the start of his week with the Mets. No big deal. The next five games I go to, Ryan, <laughs> the Mets combined to score five runs. Yes. They got shut out twice. Mm-hmm. Second game of the doubleheader Monday and the game on Tuesday in which I brought friend of the show, Will Spector. Yep. 
They uh, on Friday, the doubleheader I went to, they scored two runs in game one and they won. They scored one run in game two and they lost. <laughs> and then on Sunday, another game in which they lost, they scored two runs. So I went to a, a five games after that first game, and they scored just as many runs in those five games as it did in game one. It couldn't be more of a Greg Kaplan week. And you, you know sure it's all your fault, right? Well, that's the thing. Like they, the, the weirdest part about this is they started the week with a four-game lead in the division. They end the week with a four-game lead in the division. It's like a question mark? <laughs> the, <laughs> like, NL, the NL East is just bad. A disaster. Straight up. A disaster. Uh, a lot has happened in the last, like, I don't know, hour before we recorded. Sometimes has, I... it, done, has it, though? Yeah. Unless we're talking about France-Switzerland, then yes, a lot has happened. Well, explain to people who don't know about France-Switzerland exactly what happened, like me, because I have no idea. Oh, my God. You really – the soccer games – sorry, the football games today were fucking incredible. No, I've been so busy. I know that sounds crazy. I probably should have had them on, but I, I did know it was, like, free kicks or whatever it is at the end, right? Yeah, penalty kicks. Right, got uh, it, got it, got First it. of all, in game one – Spain was up by two goals in the 85th minute, and they gave up those two goals. Perfect. And it went to extra time, and then they won by two. But in France, my God, they were up by two goals in the 81st minute. They give up the two goals to send it to extra time. Nobody scores in the extra time. It comes down to penalty kicks. Both teams make their first four, and then Switzerland Mm. makes their fifth, which means France has to make its fifth to continue the game. Mm -hmm. They saved their best player for the fifth spot, Kylian Mbappé. And he was stonewalled. He, it, it wasn't even a bad penalty. It was just a fucking hell of a save in oh. Switzerland. Vince. France, the world champions, the 2018 World Cup champions are done. They're out. That's the best. Good for them. Hey, he's got a World Cup, right? It's okay. I'm he, sure nobody's going to yell about it at all or burn anything. Mbappe also makes like $500,000 a week. A week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's doing fine. He's doing fine. All right, so anyway, let's go to some NHL news, and we'll talk about uh, some of that with our friend, our friend Jesse Granger today uh, from The Athletic. Well, he's going to come on and talk about the Vegas Golden Knights and some other topics around there, including Gerard Gallant. Who knew that way, right? Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, the 2022 draft is in Montreal, Gregory. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going. we got to be there. Yeah, I'm very excited to see who the Sabres take with the Rangers pick. It's be good. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, the Rangers are in, but they're out. But they're just asking. They're just curious. They're doing due diligence, but they're not interested because the price is too high. But if it came down, they might be in, but I'm pretty sure they're out. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're saying they're in. <laughs> nobody yeah. nobody has yeah. ever done due diligence on a guy they don't want to acquire, right? That's called a waste of time. Yeah, why, why the hell? If you're not in, like you're doing due diligence. Listen, it's still negotiating through the media, especially with the Brooks article. It pretty much says like, well, first of all, Buffalo hasn't released the medicals to any teams, and they won't release the medicals to any teams unless they get too deep into trade talks. What is what is too deep into trade talks? Like when it, when is it cool to actually send medicals to another team? Like what's well, the, I, what's I, the that, that doesn't bother me because you want to get far enough down the road where you don't want the medicals to be the reason you're scared off on acquiring a player, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to you I, I this move I understand. You want to do. 75 80% of the legwork before you're like, all right, well, this 20% is important, but we needed to get to this point before we do it. Why would the Sabres voluntarily offer up the medicals of Jack Eichel just for the team to say, you know what, fuck it, we don't want it? Like now that team just has your player's medical information, which doesn't seem, uh, and the fair is not exactly the right word, but it, it would seem misguided 
to lead the conversation with the medicals. Um, I, again, like as Brooks' article has said, the Rangers are doing enough due diligence where they are asking other doctors that aren't necessarily treating Jack Eichel what the hell this injury means, what the options are, what the outcome is for rehab, for surgery. All The, the Rangers are doing everything they possibly could without having the critical information in their hands because I understand why the Sabres want to just fork it over now. Why would I provide me with a concrete and intriguing reason as to why the Sabres should fork over the medicals right now? Um, I can't actually give you one, but I'm surprised. I guess I'm not really surprised they haven't done it. It just seems if you're engaged in trade talks, I guess they're preliminary. It's kind of like before being quoted at a service in that way. But let's talk about going down the road, because that's what you mentioned. Like, how do, how do teams go down the road? You like, agree on core pieces or at like, least a core package, and then once we agree on this core package, we'll send you the medicals, and we can work around either subtract plus minus this or add this. Is that what, how we would go down the road? Just for people yeah, at home. Well, okay, so maybe it's easier to digest if I put it this way. Instead of talking about medicals, imagine this was a team trying to acquire a player and extend that player, Right. You don't allow that team to talk extension until the deal is essentially done, would you? No, no. So why think of think of it think of it in those terms, right? Why would why would a team want if the Rangers were trying to acquire a player on an expiring deal? Why would the team allow the Rangers to negotiate the deal first without first figuring out what the hell they're getting from the Rangers themselves? That's a good point. That's a good point. One takeaway I had from the Brooks article today that is that Braden Schneider is not named in the Brooks article. And Brooks likes to drop, the Quick King himself likes to drop secret hints. Um, I'd imagine that maybe, I don't know if Schneider's off the table, I don't believe he would be. But I can imagine that's the package that has been floated to Brooks did not include Schneider uh, in it. So far, I think my takeaway from it has been um, it, it's going to be some package of Strom, Niels, Kraftstoff, and like maybe a pick or two. Is the original ask or the the, well, the thing they're working around now? I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna disagree with you again. If you're the Love Buffalo it. Sabers, and their priority, as we've known for a very long time, is to acquire roughly four pieces equivalent to first round pieces, which is what they've said and, for like months now. Right. It, it's it's not just what they've said. It's what we've said. Right. And again, I, I go back to the point of well, if you didn't want Jack Eichel and you had to give him four. Equivalent of four first round pieces. Man, it would have been a real fucking shame if you just offer sheeted someone. I don't know. Um, Mr. Barzell. By the way, uh, offer sheet numbers came out today, and you could offer someone $8.2 million without having them two first round picks. Just, uh-huh. just going just gonna to put that up there. Makes you think. And, uh, a little bit. Yeah, it makes you think, Ryan. Any who's he? Back to my point. Everybody and their mother knows that the Rangers are likely going to have to include Niels Lundquist in this trade. So if you're the Buffalo Sabres, why would you want Niels Lundquist? And Braden Schneider. Wouldn't you want to diversify your assets a little bit? In the Wu-Tang uh, economy, the diversify your bonds situation? Yeah. Why? Why? It's, it's not a knock on Schneider being a good prospect. He is. It's mm-hmm. not a knock on um, the Rangers trying to secretly overvalue Schneider over Lundquist. They don't. Right. It's just simply if you're the Buffalo Sabres and you have the opportunity to why load up? Four, yeah. Why, why not get a center, Ryan Strom, to replace Jack Eichel? Mm-hmm. Why not get a high upside winger in Vitaly Kravtsov? Why not get a potential top-pairing defenseman in Niels Lundqvist? And why not get some draft assets that you can then choose what players you want, especially if we're led to believe that the Buffalo Sabres are just over the moon about the players in this year's draft? <laughs> yeah, I, which I have, very, I have such a hard time believing. 
I know that's yeah, like, like it's one of the worst lies I've ever heard in my life. Right, but I, I'm just I'm trying to think of it from the the Sabers perspective. Why would you want? Say you're getting Stroman Lundqvist for sure. Yep. Then why would you want your third asset to be Schneider instead of Kravtsov? Yeah, just even if you think Schneider, I I, I know Adam, our boy Adam, etc., is going to say that Schneider might be a better prospect than Vitaly Kravtsov. I'm not here to call him wrong directly to his ears. He could end up eventually being right. But wouldn't you rather just take a shot at a play a, a player that is capable of doing something different, like Vitaly Kravtsov at a different position? I'm not, I'm not saying they can't double up on defensemen. Like, if they wanted Niels and Keandre Miller, well, then you're just talking about acquiring a, an entire defensive pairing. But if you're – well, I just don't know why you would want two right-handed defensive prospects in this trade. That makes sense. If you're the Sabres. Now, one other thing that Larry mentioned, which I, I we've never really talked about on the show, is maybe even with that package, the Rangers would want financial flexibility back with Jack Eichel, meaning the Buffalo Sabres oh, would favorite. eat some of his contract. Now – if you can get that, that feels like posturing to me. Hmm. Now we're now we're really talking if they eat twenty five percent to fifty percent of his contract. <laughs> yeah, but that that one hundred that one hundred percent is just it just feels like posturing because well because I'll throw in Matthew Robertson if you're gonna you know if it, if we're paying instead of ten million you know seven point five for Jack Eichel that's a big deal. No, the the eating the eating of salary is what gets you Keandre or Capo. Not Matthew Robertson. Makes sense. The Sabres aren't going to eat money for a B-level prospect. I I am raining on that parade big time. If the, if the Sabres eat money, that means the Rangers are giving up serious assets. Our son or right our, our child. child. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, our whole family. Yeah, it, it's it, it's not to get just another also ran prospect. It's not to get the Robertsons, the the Morgan Barons. Those aren't the players you're giving up in order to get the Sabres to eat money on a star contract with an injury. No way. That, that, that step is the Sabres saying, all right, fine, we're going to do this for you. Then you are 1,000% sending Cabo Caco on over. Would I trade Cabo Caco for $5 million Jack Eichel? Yes. I think I would. <laughs> I think I would do that. Yeah, I get it. I just... Wouldn't you rather just keep Cabo Caco and if Eichel doesn't work, trade $5 million Jack Eichel yourself? Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers trying to pinch pennies right now. The one team in the NHL that shouldn't have to worry about the pinching pennies is the, Rangers. Is the New York Rangers. Yeah, they have a lot of yeah. gas space. Just if, if, if eating, this is, this is the shit that always frustrated me so much with the Will Pond era Mets because the correct answer was just eat the money and get the best prospect available. But instead, the Wilpons, whenever the Mets sucked, would always require the acquiring team to eat all the money and get just nothing in return. So if you're, the, if you're the Rangers and you have the ability to lessen the trade capital you send to an organization simply because you have the ability to eat money, just eat the damn money. We can figure out the math on who gets paid what after that. Mm-hmm. Get Jack Eichel and then worry about the next steps in terms of financial flexibility the rangers the the play the players the rangers are paying aren't bad players they don't have dead money hanging around on that roster anymore there isn't a guy the rangers can't package to get something in return that also saves them a little capital so i'm not i i would i would be annoyed genuinely annoyed if the rangers required the Sabres to eat any money because all that means to me ryan 
is the Rangers could have done a package that cost them less in terms of tradable assets in order to get this player. Just eat the money. Come on. Yep. I, I think I agree with you, especially when we've, I've heard at least in this case that, and this brings me to my next point, the Rangers could work a situation where it would be tight, but they could work a situation where they would have Mika Zibinjad and Jack Eichel under their cap for the entire length of their salaries and be okay. Now, let's talk about that. Because the other point that Larry made in this article, the Click King himself, said maybe the Rangers go after Jack Eichel as a replacement to know if Mika Zibinjad doesn't want to resign here because as of July 28th this year, the Rangers are eligible to extend Mika Zibinjad, but he said pretty much Zibinjad is in control of that entire situation, as he should be, and can hit free agency next year if he really wants, and then go to the open market where likely his price would be higher. So the Rangers will likely try and extend him beforehand for a lower price. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but if he does leave, at least if they had Jack Eichel, they'd have a backup center. The plan, and we've said this before, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to have both. You need to have both. And maybe with maybe the season that Mika had, now listen, the first half of his season was lackluster, like every single part of it. Then he came on fiery hot and absolutely torched the Flyers and some other teams, and, and most of his goals just came in spurts, and he was a tremendous player. That still lowers his value from what it was projected to be. Like I think you and I would say fairly. Maybe he was projected to get 10, 10.5 from the Rangers after this, before the COVID season. Is that, that kind of in the ballpark? Yeah. Now I, I think it's I think lower. It's, now I think it's like 8, 8.5. Well, I think it's lower not even because of anything Mika Zibanejad did. It's just we're living in a flat cap world. Yeah. And this world is going to exist for four, four years, yeah. give or take. I just don't think people who think big money contracts are just going to become a thing again. I'm, I'm not sure. We didn't see any really last year. We saw Taylor Hall got $8 million on a one-year deal. And even then, a team had to eat the a team, the Buffalo Sabers, idiots, had to eat half that salary to move them for a second round pick. I just don't think you're going to see big money contracts be handed out. I I don't know what Mika Zibanejad would have to do necessarily on the ice for him to get to a ten million dollar range again. It just it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Yeah, it's not his fault. Consider. Yeah, I, could he get that? I guess he could get that money from a team that's not in cap hell, but the teams that aren't going to be in cap hell. Like the Devils are, might pay him that. Yeah, which brings me to the point of what I was saying. The teams that are going to be able to pay him are teams that are not necessarily super competitive. Like the New York Islanders don't have a lot of money. The Tampa Bay Lightning they have, have negative money. Well, because they're cheaters. Cheats. Yeah, they're cheaters, um, for sure. I will Listen, it, when you you got to spend $18 million to have an opportunity to – you know, bow to the knees of the greatest goalie ever existed. You got to do oh, it. We are in such a bad place with this finals. Dude, it could have been worse. Yeah. Islanders, Islanders, Montreal would have been. I, Islanders, <laughs> Canadians, you and I would have had to take our first hiatus. In time. <laughs> I think we would just have an episode called a moment of silence. We would have done the open two minutes and like, enjoy the next 58. And it would have just been 58 minutes of static. That's yeah. it. It, it, it would have, it would have been tough. That would have been literally choosing between, you know, how do you want to die? Like burning to death or drowning? Yeah, or that that is that is what a knife a couple of times. It's like yeah. What? The funny thing is, I, I've long long said on this podcast that the Islanders don't bother me. I don't really think about them. For the most part, that is true. And then when I get put into a situation where I have to choose between the Islanders potentially winning a Stanley Cup, um, or the Montreal Canadiens potentially getting Carey Price's name 
on said Stanley oh, Cup. Gosh. I realized all of a sudden, really quickly, that I just have this desire to not see Islander fans happy. It's not just that. I, I The Twitter replies of 2021 that would come in my reply section for the next X tough. amount of years, I just tough. couldn't do it. Because Ranger fans do it, dude. Like, I don't do this, but I, I, I really dislike some of you who do this, like where it's like, hey, 94, we won in 94 to Islander fans. Like, dude, that was so long ago at this point. Who cares? Like, and Islander fans who were like, hey, we won four in a row in the 80s. Like, most of you weren't alive. <laughs> on most Twitter. of you. None, none of you, first of all, were alive. Second of all, the 80s, it's not even hockey. I don't know what the fuck they were playing. Has more in common with like lacrosse, I think, than actual <laughs> hockey. Um, yeah, listen, I don't know. They, I just, why, why it would have been bad. Why are we ranking about championships that way? I mean, I, I'll make fun of the Leafs all day long. That's hilarious. Nineteen sixty. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. The Mets winning in nineteen eighty six is more impressive when you consider the amount of drugs flowing through that locker room. Like the drugs was insane. Yeah, like, like it was an insane amount. Congratulations. The, the Mets won more rings that year than they had arrests, and I think that needs to be properly. Admired in this day and age. Um, I appreciate anyway, you guess, saving the Mets here in the eighties. Yeah. Good Thank job. You. I listen. I, I do Protect what I yourself. Can do. Also, I don't remember the New York Yankees winning any titles during that time. So mm, get fucked. Very strange. Um. Hey, speaking of cheap people, the NHL—they're cheap. What, what are we talking about? Which Why? Is, which is what brings us to Mika Zibanejad not getting paid. Okay. Should Mika Zibanejad get paid? Would this year be considered a demerit against Mika Zibanejad? I think so. I don't think so. I don't, how? I First half of the season, he's recovering from COVID, having a really hard time with it. We know this. We saw this. It was as clear as day to our eyes. Second half of the season, it was kind of just Mika Zibanejad. And the people that are saying, well, he just did it against the Flyers. Yeah, man, that's what? It's 20% of the competition he faced this year. So I can't really knock him for doing it against one team. He only played seven. Like, did you, did you want him to suck equally against everybody? It's not his fault that he had Elaine Vino's number because Elaine Vino 100% offended him in some way, shape, or form when they were in the locker room together. I don't, I, I don't think – but that, that's the thing. Like, we talked about this with Fitz. I can't give players demerits. I also can't say Connor McDavid's the greatest human being to ever put skates on because he embarrassed the division of not NHLers this year. Well, like, hey, listen, the Montreal Canadiens, 18th-ranked team, made the playoffs. The Rangers didn't stand the cup finals, baby. Congratulations. Yeah, well, uh, oh, yeah. All you have to have is a team of 16-game players, right? I mean, it Can't works. You have the 56-game players. Hey, listen, the Islanders, 16-game players, they did exactly what the Rangers did in 2015. Didn't score in games 5 and 7 against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, here we go. Hold on. Let's get to our guest real quick. Hey, Jesse, one second. And transition. <laughs> hey, we're back with reoccurring guest Jesse Granger of The Athletic. Jesse, you cover the Vegas Golden Knights. And maybe some, you know, I guess I'll just start it off easy, right? What happened? Like, let, let us know. What happened with Gerard Gallant in Vegas? No, what happened with... <laughs> I thought you were jumping right into that. No, no, no. We'll get to that. I mean, you know, clearly the topic of the week is, you know, they might not be playing hockey anymore for various reasons. What what exactly happened to this Golden Knight team that uh, was just didn't have any offensive pa- firepower on the offensive side, seemingly all ser- series versus the Canadians? Yeah, it's the second year in a row where they've reached this stage, the third round in the playoffs, and they faced a team that... Last year it was Dallas, this year it was Montreal, and and both teams, you kind of, before the series starts, you look at the lineups and it's, you, you give the edge to Vegas, um, and as far as just pure talent goes, and 
it's the second time in a row that a team that employs the same sort of scheme, I think Montreal, the way that they attack the game is very similar to Dallas in that they defend, they defend, they defend. That's the number one priority. They rely on their goaltending. And then once they defend you, they wait for you to make a mistake. And then they try to get you on the, on the counterattack with a fast break the other way. And, and that's what Montreal was able to do in this series. I think it's a, an issue the Golden Knights need to to try to address this offseason. It's easier said than done. I think you can look at the center position. And, and Chandler Stevenson played phenomenally this year at number one center for the Golden Knights. But as good of a fit as he is between Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, you still have to say maybe he's not the, the elite number one center that most teams need to win a Stanley Cup. So you can look at that. And then you can look at finishing ability. I think this team is built around this front office really, really – prioritizes 200 foot forwards and you look at their forwards and almost none of them are scorers from primarily they're they're really good defensive players who do everything well mark stone is is the best example but william carlson riley smith jonathan marshall so it's just like the the dna makeup of this team even even down the lineup guys like nick waugh and they're just not you don't have many pure scorers like max patch is really the only one and i think that they, because they're so good at everything else, they control possession. And I think during the regular season, that leads to lots of scoring because it's simply you have the puck the whole time, you're going to score a lot of goals. But then when you get in the playoffs and teams start to really crank up the defense and really start to tighten things up, you need those playmakers to be able to put the puck in the net. And it just seems like the Golden Knights don't have the guy to make the individual play, to make that spectacular play to beat Carey Price or to beat Anton Kudobin the year before. Um, so I think it's 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 a little bit of a of a, of a quandary for this team what they're going to do this off season considering it's been kind of the same ending to the story the last two years. Jesse, on behalf of all of the fellow Carey Price slanderers that exist uh, in this world, either in podcast form or on Twitter, a collective what the hell, man? Like that? I, like what are we? Come on, I, we can't let Carey Price get away with this. We just. <laughs> 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 well we on this podcast just so just, just to fill jesse up or uh, rather uh, catch him up on this situation we uh slander carry price a lot because we're a henrik lundquist podcast maybe you've heard of him and there's always been this uh media just blitz of just saying carry price is the best goalie alive he has been forever even when henrik was in like his second prime or whatever third prime you want to call it so to watch carry <laughs> carry price who is Tanner Glass scored on a couple years ago in the playoffs, uh, have this success. Uh, it hurts us. It pains us in our chest. We, it's, it's hard to watch. Is that summarizing what you said, Greg? Well, not, it's because it's important to note, though, it's not just the media. I, like the, the Canadian-based media, yes, it's a little overboard. But Carey Price has brainwashed the NHL players as well, where every time there's a player survey, it's like, hey, man, who do you want in a Game 7? It's just like Henrik Lundqvist has the most career Game 7 wins of any goalie in the world. And everyone is just like, boy, if we had Carey Price, I'd have my he's, name on it. He's cup. finally doing it. Here it is. I, I, I know. And to which I say, come on. Why? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll have an actual follow-up instead of because I know the question was just come on. Uh, you talked about first-line centers, and this podcast can't stop talking about the one hopefully future Ranger, Jack Eichel. There's already been rumors for the Vegas Golden Knights, that they would possibly go after Eichel. Why wouldn't they? Is that something you believe will be on the, the table for them? Will What even package could they offer? Uh, give, give us your evaluation of that situation. 
Yeah, I, I think it's definitely on the table for the simple fact that the Golden Knights are in on pretty much every one of these situations. I mean, since they've come into the league, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon have been so incredibly aggressive in terms of chasing these prized free agents or trade targets. Um, just off the top of my head, I mean, they were in on Eric Carlson the, in year one at the trade deadline, ended up not getting him um, and opted to go for Tomas Tatar, which was a disaster. But that very next offseason, they signed Paul Stasny, who was one of the main free agent uh, centers out mm -hmm. there. They trade for Max Pacioretty, which was obviously a huge blockbuster trade. They trade for Mark Stone, which was the biggest trade of that deadline. The next deadline, they trade for Robin Leonard, who was one of the biggest trades. They sign Alex Petrangelo. I mean, uh, they, they were in on the John Tavares sweepstakes. He obviously didn't have much interest, and he kind of had his, his eyes set on Toronto, so they didn't really get far in that. But they were interested in John Tavares. Like, there has not been a, a superstar player that has been on the market that the Golden Knights haven't pursued to this point. So I do think that they will kick the tires on it. I don't know how realistic it is to get done just because of there are so many factors. One, the Golden Knights don't have the draft capital that some other teams have that are trying to get Jack Eichel, right? Like the Golden Knights, their first round picks are useless. I mean, not entirely useless, but right. in comparison to teams with top 10 picks, top five picks, it's pretty useless. Um, and it's and, and, and you can't just give them like two years down the road because the way the Golden Knights have played, you just assume their draft picks are going to be useless for a while. Um, there's that. And then there's the fact that they don't really have a ton of top prospects to trade away either. Um, they do have Peyton Krebs, but I don't think they want to get get rid of him. And, and they have traded Nick Suzuki, Eric Brandstrom. They've traded a lot of young, high draft picks. So they, they're kind of running out of ammunition there. Um, I do think they're going to try. I do think, well, I don't think they're going to try. I think they're going to call and see what, what the offer is. If you, I, I wrote a story yesterday and I tried to put together an offer and I'm talking to people in Buffalo, kind of asking what they're looking for. And the offer I came up with was Shea Theodore, Cody Glass, and a first-round pick. And it, it might have to be a little more than that. It might have to be another first-round pick in there, um, just because, like I said, their first-round picks aren't as valuable as most. Um, but, they, I mean, going after Jack Eichel, it's going to be a fundamental reworking of the roster. And I just don't know if the Golden Knights want to do that um, after how good they were this year. So, so I, I don't think the Golden Knights end up with Jack Eichel, but I do think – their name is probably going to be in that conversation until it's settled. Well, Jesse, you brought up two key names, which will translate perfectly, or I would say transition perfectly to the Gerard Gallant elephant in the room that we need to talk about. George McPhee, first general manager in Vegas Golden Knights history, hires Gerard Gallant to be the first coach in team history. Uh, two years go by. Kelly McCrimmon, who was an assistant general manager for McPhee, gets promoted alongside with McPhee and becomes the guy. The Knights get off to a little bit of a slower start than I think people were waiting for. Pete DeBoer becomes available, and the Knights immediately make the switch. Do you, in your mind, were there any significant red flags with Gerard Gallant's performance in year three with the Vegas Golden Knights that made his firing warranted? And do those red flags carry over? to anything a Ranger fan would have to worry about. Yeah, I think, and like, I remember writing this when they, when they made the switch, I think it had a lot more to do with philosophical differences between the front office and Gallant than it did 
his performance, right? So the goal, I mean, the Golden Knights, they had lost like four in a row or whatever. They were on a little bit of a losing skid there and they had like fallen into like danger of being in playoff position, but it was the middle of the season. And by the way, he was like a week away from coaching the all-star game. <laughs> so and at, at, the coach who has the best record in each division gets to coach that team in the all-star game. And he was set to coaching because he had the best record in the division, like two weeks before that. Um, so it's not like his performance was all that bad. The team did have some issues i mean they the team was not performing as well as they should have they were coming out really slow which is funny because in these playoffs they actually had that issue where they would start slow they would they would not show up for the first period and then they'd turn it on in the second and third and just completely dominate teams but in hockey you're down a couple goals the team can kind of sit back and play defense you're going to be in trouble no matter how much you dominate the rest of the game and that's what they were doing back then i can remember a moment where we kept asking uh gallant uh, Turk, as everyone refers to him, as you guys will, you guys will quickly learn. Um, mm-hmm. All the players will only refer to him, him as Turk. Um, we asked Turk a couple times, "What do you have to do to get these players playing at the beginning of games?" And he was like, "I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to go in there and with like pom poms and cheerlead them?" And like, it was clearly frustrating like there was a point of frustration with the slow starts with this team i don't think that's necessarily fair to put on gerard gallant i think the reason he ultimately is not the coach of the golden knights is more so i think a lot of players that that george mcphee and kelly mccrimmon were acquiring um he didn't want to play i think you look at tomas tatar they made that trade they traded a first a second a third round pick for him and then gallant essentially benched him for the entire playoffs and wouldn't put him on the ice healthy scratch and it's because he just didn't he wasn't the back-checking, hard-nosed in the corners that Gallant likes. Like, Gallant puts so much. I talked earlier about how this organization emphasizes 200-foot players. For Gallant, it's defense. And if you don't have the defense, he doesn't care about any other aspect of your game. Um, he puts so much emphasis on that side of the puck. And I think there were players that, not just Tomas Tatar, um, Nikita Gusev is another one. Vadim Shipashev is another one. Two Russian guys who, who came over to play for the Golden Knights and ultimately never played for them. Um, because they didn't really fit into Gerard Gallant's system. And, and he just preferred to play guys like a Cody Eakin, for example, who is more responsible defensively, but not quite the uh, playmaker offensively. So I think a combination of there was there, they were looking for a reason to go to Pete DeBoer, I think. So they needed him to struggle a little bit. And he did. And the team did have a little a lull there. But I think it was more just philosophical differences between the way they viewed things and the way he viewed things. We spoke to a beat writer for the Florida Panthers named uh, George Richards, and he kept bringing up over and over and over again that all of the players loved Gallant to death. Like they just couldn't stop singing his praises. Is that the case with the Golden Knights also? 100%. He is the most player-friendly coach, not just in hockey. I'd say he's the most player-friendly coach in any of the four major sports. Oh like he, the players love the guy. They absolutely love him. He's one of the guys. Like It's to the point where it, he almost acts like he's just one of the players in the locker room. He's great in that aspect. Um, the players love him. He has their back. He refuses to – he will refuse to criticize a player no matter how bad they're playing, no matter how like many questions he gets. He will find positives in their game. He will stick with them. He's also, I think, one of the biggest – reasons he did so well with this team is he gives his players confidence by not limiting their ice time or benching them when they play bad a player that he believes in Cody Eakins perfect example and and Cody Eakins career has gone downhill and he was really bad in Buffalo this year but he was pretty good for his first year in Vegas and then it kind of got worse and as it got worse and as, as his analytics were poor 
me and other writers covering the team would constantly ask Gallant about him. When are you going to take him out of the lineup? Have you thought about making switches? And he sticks with his guys. Derek England's another one. He will stick with his guys. And I think when a coach does that and when players know if I have a bad couple games, if I make some mistakes, my coach isn't going to bench me. He's not going to take my ice time away. He has confidence in me. I think that allows those players to play with a little more freedom and a little less pressure. So I think that's part of the reason he's such a player's coach. Um, another it's it's a part of the reason he's such a, a player friendly guy a story I like to tell to uh, kind of let people know like what how Gerard Gallant is and like the, the guy he is in the room um, the first season in in Vegas they the play, the players molded a uh, phallic shape out of wax <laughs> and they okay. put it on top of Nate Schmidt's helmet um, in the locker room and the way their helmets sit in the locker room, it's above you. So you kind of just put your helmet on without really looking at the helmet. And that's what he did. So he puts it on and he has no idea it's on there. And he's walking out of the locker room to go to practice. And remember, practices in Vegas are open to the public and they are packed. Like there's a thousand people in there watching practice wow. every day. Maybe not a thousand, 600 people every day watching practice. And Schmidt's walking out and the players are like obviously trying to not laugh so that he'll get out there. And then they look at the front door and it's Gallant standing at the door and they think, well, crap, this isn't going to work. The coach is going to tell him, like, what are you doing? Get back in there. And Schmidt gets to Gallant and Gallant just goes, get out there, Schmitty. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's like one of the players. Like, he he saw what they were doing and he's like, I'm not going to mess this up for you guys. So then Schmidt went out there, got embarrassed, had to go back in the room and change his helmet. But yeah, I think that's a small example of, of... just the way he kind of interacts with the players and the a way he's kind of one of the guys in there. Uh, Jesse, one thing we've been trying to, we're, we're going to harp on it with you. We harped on it with George Richards as well, is we're, we're trying to figure out the relationship Gallant has typically with younger players. Now we know, we knew with Florida, we're, we're talking about baby Ekblad, baby Barkov, uh, Riley Smith at his younger points, Vegas, it, it was more a collection of unknowns than it was a collection of youth. But do you think Gallant is the proper guy for a roster as young as the Rangers? I mean, youngest team in base, uh, baseball, Whoa, youngest team nice. in hockey. With, sorry, sorry. Been a very long week for Greg. Uh, There's a Rangers that play baseball too, right? <laughs> there are, and they're they're, they're, so they're I, pretty bad as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it, he can be. Um, I will say that there are times, and and like Vegas, it's kind of hard. I I feel like I'm not in a great position to answer this because the way things happened in Vegas, being an expansion team, their draft picks simply weren't ready. Like this was the first year, really, year four, where their draft picks actually were ready to play. And like even Cody Glass wasn't ready this year, but like Nick Haig played a lot. So, So I think... There, like, there was a hesitancy. There was a hesitancy in Vegas for him to play young players, but at the same time, they weren't ready. And it was an expansion team that was one of the oldest teams in the league because you don't have that. The, the way the rules are set up in expansion, they're obviously set up for you to get good players. Clearly, Vegas was stacked, but you can't get players under like 25, right? Like, they only had a couple players under that age, and that was because of trades they worked out Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore. Aside from those guys, it's just a bunch of veterans, and then you've got 17-year-olds who you just drafted, and by the time he was out of here, it was – I mean, those players simply weren't ready yet, so I think it's hard to to place blame on Gallant for, for not playing young players. I will say, 
he didn't play the young players. He play he prefers the veteran guys. Like he prefers Cody Eakin and Derek England, like the old wily vet that I can trust. I know what he's going to give me out there rather than trying to develop someone. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have the young players that the Rangers have. He didn't have Lafreniere. And like, it, it's not the same type of, of youth. So I do think that, that there's a chance he could be really good because he's a player friendly coach. He gives guys confidence and he builds, he builds a lot of team chemistry really well. Like I think he, those are all his strengths. And I think that can be good for young kids coming into the NHL. Yeah. He's talked a lot in his press conference, similar to what you said with the 200 foot game. His, his system is really like, I guess you're trying to say like four check heavy. Like yes. I, that was Capococco's specialty when he was a draft, uh, you know, prospect. And then since then, um, he's had, I would say, a rocky, uh, well, disastrous year one and a rebound in year two. So I think it's what Greg is kind of getting towards is like these players, these young kids are going to have to play this four checking style or they won't see the they won't see the time. But you also you said like he won't give up on them. And he mentioned that, too. Like if, if someone makes a mistake, that won't be the case. And um, you didn't watch any Ranger games this year, I'm sure, because you were you were covering the East uh, at all. But David Quinn would just bench some guy like right away. If you yeah, made that, a mistake, that, that just happens. Got right, it. That won't be happening with Gallant. And and you mentioned the fourth check. That's his thing, right? Like after every game, if they lost, it's because the four check wasn't good enough. If they won, it's because the four check was so good. Like to, for for Gerard Gallant, his system, that is where everything starts and ends is the four check. And when the four checks going, his system is suffocating. And, and we saw it in Vegas. And when the four checks not working, there can be issues, especially exiting the zone. Got it. Uh, so I guess that brings us to the question with Gallant is can we expect him to go the whole term <laughs> because he's had, you know, he, I don't know what was, what was the real reasoning behind him leaving Vegas? It seems like it wasn't even his fault when he got put in a taxi cab in Florida. Like it just, was it just, Hey, we have a disagreement. We don't want to change the scenery. It doesn't seem like the rub on him was, Hey, he's a guy who's, who might not make it the three years you have him there, but all the players love everything I've heard has been extremely positive. So is it just like there was two coincidences in his, in his life where it was like, unfortunate he was about to coach the all-star game and the other one was Thanksgiving and this guy just gets bad beats or like, is there something secret? We don't know. Like I can't find a bad thing. Is that weird? I I think you're, you're kind of on the right track. I think it's two bad circumstances. Well, for one, I think Florida and, and I think they've changed a lot of things and they're running things a lot better now. But I think back then, Florida was a train wreck and they didn't know what they were doing. And I think that was a mistake to fire Gerard Gallant. So uh, I, I'll chalk the first one up to Florida are idiots. Um, the too. second one, I think, is a bit of a, is it's, it's a bad circumstance. And I think it's partially, to be honest, and this is just pure conjecture. For, like, I, this is not something I've been told. This is just my opinion after two years of, of seeing how things have gone since Gerard Gallant left. I think part of it is, I think when George McPhee hired Gerard Gallant, he expected the expansion team to suck, like everyone did. Everyone in the world thought they were going to suck, right? And I think in his mind, I think in his mind it was, let's get a coach who can keep this locker room harmonious, even if we're losing every night, and keep the vibes good and keep developing players and have players be happy and come to the rink and wanting to work and improve on things, even if they're getting their butts kicked every night. And I think if you told me I need a coach to keep my locker room morale up, Gerard Gallant is the guy. So I think, and then suddenly they're this cup contender and partially because of Gallant, which is the craziest part is I feel like McPhee, I don't think he and McCrimmon gave Gallant enough of the credit for turning that team that was supposed to suck into a cup contender. I think they thought, 
well, suddenly we have a team that wants to win the Stanley Cup, and I don't think they necessarily thought Gallant was their type of coach to win the Stanley Cup with, if that makes sense. I think they thought six years from now, when when we're about to actually compete for playoffs in a cup, we'll have a different coach by then, and then suddenly it was Gallant. So <laughs> I think I think they and then and then I think it, if Pete DeBoer doesn't get fired from San Jose. Gerard Gallant's probably still the coach in Vegas. I think they really, really like Pete DeBoer. And I think, and talk, and I remember when that all went down, I talked to a lot of people around the league just trying to get their, their opinion on this, on the whole thing. And the opinion of Pete DeBoer amongst hockey people around the league is so high. Like his people think so highly of his hockey intellect and his X's and O's and just the way he thinks the game. So I think in their minds, it was like, we like Gerard Gallant, but we don't like him as much as Pete DeBoer, and he's not going to be on the market for very long. And how long is it going to be until there's a coach like this on the market again? Let's just pull the trigger. And it was a super ballsy move, obviously, yep. to fire a coach who had just won the Jack Adams and led a stand, uh, uh, expansion team to a Stanley Cup. And to be honest, it hasn't really been the wrong decision. DeBoer has – the Golden Knights have gotten better since DeBoer got here, and he's been excellent. I think they can both be really good coaches, Gallant and DeBoer. I just think – one, I think DeBoer's thoughts on hockey in general kind of match McCrimmon and McPhee a little more than Gallant did. And two, um, I think that, like I said, I think they when they hired Gallant, I think it was to do something different than what actually ended up happening. It's funny because the Rangers actually hired him to do what the Vegas Knights didn't think he could do. <laughs> <They're> right, like... <laughs> right. But he, just, but he took the team to the Stanley Cup, right? So right. Like, I, like, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for that, at least from the front office here. But, I mean, they they – I disagree with a lot of the things the front office here does. It's amazing for a team that's had as much success as they have. Right. Isn't that always the fun part? Jesse, right. I guess I guess my next question for you would be, um, you're a guy very connected to the NHL. You're obviously a student of the game, I think is fair to say. In your humble opinion, would you have hired somebody else than Gerard Gallant? All you know about Gallant and all you know about the league. No, I would have hired Gerard Gallant. To be honest, I am shocked Seattle didn't hire him. Um, if I was Seattle, I think I would have hired him the day the Golden Knights fired. Like, did they even have a GM at that point? If I'm the owner of Seattle, I'm literally hiring him the second I had the opportunity to hire him. Um, they didn't, and I think the Rangers will benefit from it. I think Gerard Gallant is is a very, very good hockey coach, and and um, I don't know, I don't know exactly if you guys are in in the room every day with talking to the coaches, but if you are, you're gonna <laughs> we wish. love. It. Yeah, he we is, wish. He is, he is a kick to deal with. He's hilarious. Um, he is really fun to talk to, just like to like shoot the breeze with. He's hilarious. He's a good guy. Yeah, I was gonna say. It seems like um, I can't. I can't find a bad. I'm trying to find people to say bad things. I'm legitimately out here searching. It seems I do very agree. hard. Right. I, I I agree with your point that you said earlier about like, is there something going on that this guy who we can't find a bad thing about keeps getting fired? And I do think there is something to that. Like, I do think that maybe he is a stubborn guy, right? And when you have stubborn people in those positions, there can be fights with the front office and there can be disagreements that get pretty heated. And I, I don't know if that's what happened in Vegas. I'm not here reporting that yep. there were huge arguments, but knowing Gallant and talking to him and getting in arguments. I've been in plenty of arguments with him on TV, on live TV, plenty of them. Um, <laughs> I know that he can get, be stubborn. He can get fired up and he can, he can like bite back. Right. And I think 
that that could have something to do with why he has not lasted in places. Um, he does not give in when he thinks strongly about a player or about an, an, an idea in the game. So I think that that could play a factor. And if you're sitting here thinking, like you said, we can't find anything negative. Why does this guy not have a job? Why is he bounced from team to team? Maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, to the to the stubborn point, from what we've been able to dig up, it's that he's almost been a cause of two different front office changes. In Florida, it's a completely different front office. For whatever reason, they didn't fire him during the offseason. They waited until the regular season and waited until they had a quote-unquote reason. And part of it was Gallant was just unwilling to work with them um, to the stubbornness you said. And then in Vegas, it did feel like he was hired by George McPhee, but then Kelly McCrimmon became the decision maker, and it seemed like Gallant didn't necessarily care who the decision maker was because he wanted to be the on ice decision maker. Am I am I off with that description? Um, okay. I wouldn't say so. The McPhee McCrimmon situation is very unique. Um, they've basically been co-managing this team from day one. And when their position titles changed, nothing actually changed. So since the team basically came to existence, George McPhee has been the top guy. And Kelly McCrimmon is, because of his junior background, he owned, coached, and managed the Wheat Kings for, like, a long time. He has a lot of background in junior hockey. He's kind of been the amateur GM. Like, he's kind of on the draft side of things. And they were afraid they were going to lose Kelly to Edmonton or whoever, maybe, maybe Seattle, whoever they were afraid someone was going to give him a GM job and they didn't want to lose him. So they promoted George to president of hockey ops, promoted, promoted Kelly to GM, but I'll be completely honest, literally nothing changed um, in terms of how they're dealing with things. The only thing that changed is when GMs call to make a trade, it's Kelly on the phone instead of George. And when they have GM meetings, Kelly shows up instead of George, but they're still talking everything through. George still has final say on things. Like it's very much George McPhee's team still Um, not to, not to say Kelly McCrimmon isn't making decisions, but he's been making decisions even when he was the assistant GM. They they've basically been co-managers and, and really nothing has changed. So I wouldn't look at, that um i wouldn't look at that change in management in the same way that you do a lot of other ones really not a lot changed there but so then to double down not 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 to double down on it but necessarily you think this is more to do with DeBoer becoming available than gallant anything he did yes i do that i rest oh, my case I your think... honor <laughs> <laughs> um i have no more Gallant questions what about you greg uh, I I think you've done a good job. We've Ryan isn't kidding when we've been t- trying to say we're trying to leave no stone unturned because um, Ryan and I and you you can put us on the spot too with this one. Neither of us were over the moon about Gallant, and we were we've almost been trying to find reasons to justify how not excited we were about the prospect of Gallant becoming the Rangers manager or or coach. Um, but, it, it, I mean, between you and George Richards, it seems like not only are Ryan and I in the minority, we're just flat out wrong. <laughs> I I mean, I, I really like him. I like him as a coach. I, I think he's I think he's good for the, the, like I said, especially he gets the most out of his players. I think that's the, that's, 
the, the number one thing with Gerard Gallant is, and, and you saw it in the expansion year, like every player on that team had their best season they've ever had. He gets the most out of his players and it's not really with X's and O's. Like I think a lot of times you think of like, okay, can a coach's system get the most, can a coach's system put this guy in the right spots on the ice to do well? That's not why Gallant gets the most out of his players. I think it's more, they are confident. They play confidently. His system is very simplistic. It takes a lot of the thinking out. It's not very structured. He lets guys be creative. And you give hockey players confidence and let them be creative, good things happen. This is my final. Guess, oh, go on, Greg. Well, not, not to cut you off, no, Ryan, but I, just to completely piggyback, piggyback off that point, how important are the assistants with Gerard Gallant? Do the Rangers need to go out and find game tacticians? guys who really understand certain aspects of the games. Is there a shortcoming the Rangers or Gallant understands about his coaching method that needs to be addressed with an assistant coach? Um, Perhaps. Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Like, I can't give a super solid answer on that. I'm not, I, like, I expect Mike Kelly to be on the staff. Um, I don't know if, if there have been any rumblings there. I honestly haven't been following it that closely. No but rumblings. Mike Kelly – that is his guy. Like he is his right-hand man. When they, in, in Vegas, when they fired Gallant, they fired Mike Kelly along with him. They didn't fire any of the other assistants. All the other assistants are still Ryan McGill, Ryan Craig. They're all still in Vegas working with Pete DeBoer. The only one that they let go was Mike Kelly. And he also was with Gallant in Florida and he was with him in Columbus. So I definitely expect Mike Kelly to be hired by New York. I'm sure that'll happen. Uh, this is my final actual question. Uh, the NHL announced today that the 2022 NHL All-Star Game will be in Las Vegas. Congratulations for you. I'm sure that'll be very fun. Is there a legitimate Vegas home field advantage when players go out the night before and then they play the Golden Knights? The Vegas flu, huh? Um, I, You know what? I think it it can be real, for real. I, like the, Recently, it hasn't. Obviously, COVID restrictions, keeping the players in course, their hotel yeah. rooms, has completely eliminated that. So recently, you can't really say that. And, and to be honest, this year, Vegas had its best record at home of any season. So maybe the Vegas flu isn't real. But I do know that like while there isn't scientific proof of on-the-ice results, um, as good as Vegas' home record has been, they've been just as good on the road, um, I know just knowing people in Vegas and know, and, and having those conversations with people that work in the industry at casinos and nightclubs, the players do enjoy Vegas when they're, yeah, no duh. <laughs> I don't see a reason. And I don't, and I don't see a reason why they should. <laughs> right. No duh. I just, uh, I can't, I, Vegas has always been incredible at home and you make some good stats of like, you know, on the road at exactly their better, whatever you want to say. But I just can't imagine like you, you're playing, like you live there. So you're not going out every single night. If you're a Vegas, if you're a Vegas golden Knight. but if you're, if you're on the Rangers, um, well, <laughs> I mean, you're going out that night. And I think that in year one, maybe the Vegas flu was a little worse, like was a little more pronounced mm -hmm. than it would be. Because these guys, like if you're the Rangers, when you come to Vegas, it's like, okay, this is the 10th time we've come here now over the last few years. Like it's not, it doesn't lose its luster, but it's not. I think that first year, these yeah. guys had, a lot of them had never been in Vegas, especially during the season. So it was like, we're going out. Like, of course, that's, we are. that's our one trip to Vegas. I think it kind of as the seasons go on, it it may uh, wear off. But, yeah, no, it's and for the all star game, I cannot wait Dude, to see the quality. Throw it up on the game. ice. Because, <laughs> well, because these guys, when they're there, when they're there for a for a real game, you have to 
show up like this is you're being paid to show up and you need to win and like you have to be able to or to play at a high level for the all-star game nobody takes this serious already right so these guys that extra drink you're not having because you don't want to be hung over the next day for the game if you're here for the all-star game you're definitely having that drink um is all i'm saying yeah, that that was that was going to be my question do we think the game actually gets played like <laughs> i think they're going to do the skills <laughs> competition and then that night everyone's going to get bombed and show up the next day and be like Eh, fuck it. No, we're not doing this. This is dumb. I remember when the the uh, go- the Golden Knights had the jersey unveiling, um, and it was the year. So the year the Golden Knights came into the league was the year that they switched over from uh, to a to Adidas making the jerseys, right? And they had it was at the Win. I forgot what the nightclub is called, but it was at the nightclub inside the Win Casino here, which is one of the nicest casinos in Vegas. And um, they had all the jerseys on mannequins because they're unveiling all of the Adidas jerseys. And then obviously the golden Knights one was like the main, they had a, they had a cloak over it that they like unveiled at the end. But I can remember there were so many, uh, it was the same as the, uh, the uh, all-star or sorry, the trophy, the, the award ceremony. So there were a lot of players in town and we're just kind of walking around this nightclub, checking out all the jerseys. And there are just drunk hockey players everywhere. It was fantastic. <laughs> it's I, I'm, I mean, I, ha- why don't we do this? There's a lot of sponsors for the NHL that are alcohol providers. Let's just make it happen. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> Get them on the it's ice. It's going to be fun, man. Crack them open. That All-Star game, I've, it's only been announced for a couple hours, and I already have so many ideas swimming in my head, and I'm already talking to the like game ops people. Obviously, everyone knows that Golden Knights game ops, they go all out. They yeah. are over the top. They are as as flamboyant and exaggerated as they can possibly get. I can only imagine them knowing that the whole hockey world is going to be expecting something in the all-star game. I can't wait to see what they do. The all-star game is going to be as fun as it's ever been. Incredible. Jesse, we can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, defending Gerard Gallant to us and um, everything else you've talked about. I'm sorry about your golden Knights. I mean, I, I know that you just cover them, but it would have been fun to cover another Stanley cup final. I'm sure. Um, yeah, it would have. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I can't wait for my first trip to New York to uh, see Turk again. Yeah, yeah. You let us know when you come out here. We'll try and meet up with you. Very, 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 Definitely. very fun time. Jesse, you're the best. You can follow Jesse at theathletic.com where you can read all of his stories on the Golden Knights. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, guys. Hey, we're back. We had to cut off the first part of the show a little early. Jesse showed up a little early, but we had a great interview. So thought that was good. Learned a lot about Gerard Gallant, Turk, as they call him. Can't mm-hmm. find a way to hate the guy. Um, and you were yep. talking about uh, baseball. I think I, I got distracted. I just want to just going to review the first four pitches of this Met game. Yes. Uh, as is tradition. Pitch one was Jared Eikhoff pitching for the Mets tonight. Fucking legend. Apparently Philly's legend. Uh, uh, pitch one was a ball. Yep. Pitch two. Kyle, Kyle Schwarber hit a home run. Yes. Pitch three. Trey Turner hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Pitch four. Juan Soto hit a bullet of a double. Cool. And now we're in the fucking second inning. And the skeleton of Gerardo Parra has also taken Jared Eikhoff deep. So I don't think the Mets are going to win this game. Gonna, <laughs> just going to go out there on a fucking limb. I hope they and say win. The Mets no, aren't I really hope game. they win um, for a lot of reasons. Let's get to our five star questions slash our, uh, our our five star listener Patreon questions. So mm. let, uh, we have a couple of fun ones today, and I think some of them are pretty easy. This is from TSE one two three one on our Patreon Discord. If you could bring back one former Ranger since two thousand back in their prime to the current squad, who would it, who would you pick and why? Assuming no trades are made. And no cap considerations. This is Yager, and it's not even close. Yeah, so I think the important thing here to remember is it's it has to be I'm getting the player at their current level 
from the year 2000 onward, right? So, like, I'm not getting 1994 version of Brian Leach just because oh, he was a Rangers. Well, I mean, if we're getting 94 Leach, and that's no, the no, answer. no, but we're we're not. I th- I think the key here is to you're getting the player at his level of performance in the year that we're talking about, right? Um, it says, I think it does the only say two, back in their prime. No, I, I I think the best way to do this is you're getting the player from that year that we're talking about. I really do think there are only two answers. One is Yager during his uh, mythical 120-point season. I honestly think the only other one is Marion Gabryk. Um, <laughs> you ready for this one? Curveball. Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a little unfair now, isn't it? Um, I'm just saying. Yeah, well... Yeah, it. I mean, the yes, Hunt, Henrik is at all times always the correct answer, but I think if you wanted to go playmaker, yep, uh, it, it's Yager, it's Yager or Gabber. Typing for me. a second, I'm just uh, going and I guess it. maybe McDonough as a third option. Man, McDonough played incredible in that last game uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Good for him, man. Happy for him. Hope he gets another one. Probably will. Uh, what do you mean gets another one? You hope he gets one. Yeah. Oh shit, he was on the team last year. Yeah, bro, he had one. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Shit didn't happen in 2020. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why they're not doing this. Anyway, um, this is from uh, Zabina Brad. Zabina Brad, nice. Uh, this is from actually from an iTunes review, five star question. Seems like the oh, Caps my. may be looking to offload Kuznetsov. Is he an elite talent to be had for cheap as a reclamation project and a legit 2C, or is he just Tony D 2.0, just another head case destined to be a locker room toxicity? I think the contract is a little rough. The contract's a little rough considering we don't really know what you're getting with the player. He's a guy where the capitals have to eat some money in order for me to be truly interested. Um, the, I don't, is he a problem in the locker room or is he just doesn't know where to draw the line on the partying, right? I think there's a difference. Yeah, I there think is a difference. I, I, I think with Kuznetsov, the, if there is problems in the locker room, it's that the team doesn't fully believe that he's invested but is it is that the coaching staff and management believing he's not fully invested, or is that the players thinking he's not fully invested just because he likes to have a good time? Like there have been plenty. Again, I, I've talked about the 1986 Mets already once on this podcast. Why not? Um, there are plenty of players on that team who'd like to have a really good time, but those same players also performed when it was their day. So the clubhouse was accepting of their off-field habits because they knew when money was on the line, when push came to shove, these guys were going to perform. I don't have the vibe from Capitals players that they have a problem with what Kuznetsov does in his extracurricular time. Um, it also helps that Kuznetsov for a very long time has been an all-star level player. They also so maybe fired just Trotz totally... when they probably shouldn't have done that. Right. So... And maybe maybe Trotz had a better feel on what Kuznetsov was and wasn't doing and could reel him in better than other guys. Would that translate if Kuznetsov was a partier that went to a different locker room where these guys only know Kuznetsov by reputation and they're not getting that level of performance? Would it fly over as well? Maybe not. Um, but I, 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 I always hesitate to call a player a head case because management might not like them. I just think that means management doesn't like them. In terms of do I want the Rangers to go have the Kuznetsov, boy, he's like option D. I don't even me. think I he's mean, like D, to be honest. I, I think I just, that's, I that's, think that's one price, of the ones that ends up as a mistake. Uh, if the price is so low that you're essentially getting him for just the price of like acquiring him, administration, paying him, yeah. 
Like if the Rangers don't, if the Rangers trade a third round pick and a C level prospect for Evgeny Kuznetsov, yeah, man, I'll take that. I'll take that risk. Whatever. What am I losing? It's yeah, we'll just like, it would I would I trade a top five Ranger prospect, a first round pick, a second round pick for Evgeny Kuznetsov? No, I, I don't think I would. I'd rather go shopping somewhere else. This is from Chris in Florida. Rick Carpinello, a dear friend of the show, stated in his five predictions of the offseason article, by the way, this is a quote. I don't, how do I read this like Carp? I don't know. Uh, by the way, no, nah, this is bad. By the way, it was Panarin who frequently asked David Quinn, if not begged or demanded that Blackwell be on his right rather than Kako, among others. Usually Quinn deferred and said, uh, "Do usually Quinn deferred in this situation. Do you know anything, any additional information or feedback on this quote? How do you think Gallant handles this? I, I think it's about where that information is coming from, right? I don't know for sure how the conversation went. Rick would have a better idea as to that. I have a we very hard time believing Artemi Panarin walked up to David Quinn and said, play Colin Blackwell on my wing or else. Like, I don't think it was, I don't think it was that, especially since we saw Kako play plenty on that wing throughout the season anyway. I think it was more of David Quinn might have gone up to Artemi Panarin one day and said, hey, uh, how do you feel about Colin Blackwell playing on your wing? And Panarin probably had nice things to say. And it probably went as further as, do you feel more comfortable playing with Blackwell or trying to play with Kaka right now? And maybe Panarin just said, I feel a little bit more comfortable with Blackwell. He's just got a little bit more confidence in his game right now. I can believe that conversation happening 100% of the way. I don't know. Begging? Does yeah. Artemi Panarin look like a dude that begs? No. Like everything we doesn't heard really about seem him, that way. Yeah, I the the way the quotes being painted sure makes it sound like David Quinn was saying a couple things on his way out the door because David Quinn also knows that that's not going to get refuted by anyone in the locker room. Um, so it, I think I, to me, the source of that quote the source of that quote is a lot David more Quinn. than what. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the source of that quote matters a lot more to me than what is being said in the actual quote. I just, I don't I'm, I don't call it bullshit because I don't think Rick would, we know Rick well enough to know that he's not going to print bullshit, but I think that's a very convenient quote, and I think that's the easiest way to put it. To me, that's exactly it. It, it might have been like, hey, Kako's still learning the ropes here, and he's not doing the X, Y, and Z, and I prefer to play with Blackwell yeah. tonight. He's playing with his head on fire. He scored 10 goals. He's doing the dirty work that Kako's not. He doesn't know where to be. He's still a young kid, et cetera, et cetera. But begging is yeah. not what I believe Vertebi Panarin did in any circumstance. And there, I don't think Gallant has to deal with it because I don't think it's real. Yeah, that to me sounds like the pitching coach getting fired and then saying afterwards, you know, I would have left so-and-so in, but he said he was tired. Oh, God. Stupid. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it for the show. Appreciate everybody. What? Yeah, I know. Wow. I know. All right, so good. I'm so happy you're leaving me to watch this fucking piece of shit Met game for a little bit more. <laughs> that's uh, that's yours. That's your problem, not mine. Yeah, um, whatever. I, I got Chinese food on my way home. I'm excited about that. The Rangers are in, or they're out, or they're still in on Jack Eichel. You can follow us on... No, but th- th- that's the thing. You're, you, <laughs> not to interrupt you, you keep... The Rangers are in. There is no other scenario. I'm, I'm doing a bit, do- Greg. It's called a bit. Your bit sucks, Ryan. <laughs> you, your bit is ass, all right? Okay. It's a big, wet, smelly fart, Thank and you. it's plugged the toilet. That's Thank what you. your bit is. Welcome to Summer Content, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Me. You can follow Greg at Wishers Break. We'll be back next week. Actually, we'll be back in OT. Subscribe, patreon.com slash Bluetooth Breakaway. Listen to OT this week. Love you guys. Bye. And of course, this episode was brought to you by our general managers, our offer sheet club. Thank you so much to the Patreon subscribers who 
make this work. Alex Gartner, Amber Coesberger, Ben Waters, Ben Doyle, Broadway Blucher, Bleeder, CJ Selwagen, David Aaron, and David Siegel, Dennis Deitz, Eric Stagg, George Obrinsky, JD, Jimmy Mack, Chris from Florida, Lazik, Ronkowski, Matthew Kind, Pavel Kodarev. Damn it. God damn it. God damn it, Ryan. And Ryan's actually the next person. Steven Lomayer. Uh, I think I did that right one. Stig Bull from all the way from Oloso, Swingard, Tommy O'Neill, Tori from Manhattan, Vinny Hay, and Will Spector. We cannot appreciate you all enough. I should do some, I want to do some fun songs with this segment. I want to do like maybe write a story, something weird. Give me some ideas and we'll, we'll, we'll do a nice ending segment with the Banner Club, the Offer Sheet Club that support this show. We'll be back next week. We love you guys. Uh, as I already said that. So you get two of those. All right. Bye. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.